Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to the nightly live stream. And uh, we call it the fireside chat, but still haven't found a fireplace. Anyhow, uh, we've got a wonderful guest tonight, Bill Federer. Uh, tonight is the 157th anniversary of the Gettysburg Address. And uh, he's going to talk on that a little bit. But in addition, uh, he's going to cover some election fraud that occurred in the country's history. And it's fascinating history to take a look at because today, as we saw the press release um, with uh, uh, Mayor Giuliani, uh, also Sidney Powell, a number of others, uh, it seems as though uh, when they say there's no evidence and sworn affidavits and all the things that have transpired, fascinating to see how it seems as though uh, the, the tide is turning a bit. Uh, Americans are waking up in spite of the censorship and uh, the news media and everything that they're trying to feed you. Uh, we're we're uh, cautiously optimistic and uh, wanting justice. And, uh, and also today, interesting news, I was talking with my friend, Senator Shannon Grove. Uh, she had some powerful tweets today because the governor, uh, well, before we get to that, let me refresh you uh, and your memories from last night. As you recall, uh, Governor Newsom had a dinner party when he said that we're supposed to be social distancing and masking ourselves. And, and uh, he had a dinner party at the French Laundry. Here's a, here's a picture of it. He, he had said it was outside. And we did show you a clip of Tucker Carlson where they said it was outside and they had followed all the protocols. There's no protocols there. And interestingly enough, at that dinner at French Laundry, uh, which is a very expensive Michelin three-star restaurant, paid for with taxpayer money, uh, you had there not only health officials who have been telling us that we have to do shutdowns and lockdowns, they also have folks that are making a bundle of money um, on all of the things that they're perpetrating on us as citizens of the state of California. And when he was caught red-handed, uh, well, he, uh, he gave us a, a really wonderful way to enjoy Thanksgiving this year because we're going to see in a moment that the governor's come out and doubled down on his... Uh, desire to slow the curve. Remember that? 14 days to slow the curve. And we're almost a year into this. And if the lockdowns work the first time, why do we have to do them again? Doesn't make much sense. Of course, uh, I didn't see the data today, but as of yesterday, we hadn't had any deaths in the county in, in 14 days. Uh, we've been doing massive testing and even testing people who are asymptomatic. And the health director, Dr. Robert Levin, wants us to test everybody so that we can find folks uh, who, have had the, who have the virus. And it's so severe that 85% of the people who were tested didn't even know they had it. But the more people we can show that are positive, we can continue this lockdown, even though uh, our ventilators, there's plenty of them, hospital beds, plenty of them. At last count, we had a little under, I think, uh, 15, maybe 13 people in ICU. And that's tragic. But still, uh, if you look at the CDC numbers, this has been the lowest flu season in the history of the country <laughs> Uh, typically, 45,000 people have the flu. I think we had 61 reported on, well, you can go and take a look at the CDC website. Fascinating. And we're just wondering how severe uh, this virus really is and what's the purpose of these lockdowns. They've already taken away our Holy Week. Now they want to take away Thanksgiving, and I'm certain that they're going to press to take away Christmas as well. But the governor, when confronted with his own hypocrisy, uh, he wasn't cited uh, he wasn't given an emergency restraining order like the church has been. He doesn't have a health official out every Sunday uh, documenting every violation of, of the violation of his order. He's, he doesn't have to keep the order. Instead, all he has to do is this. And you can see with this slide, 
He just said he's sorry for breaking his own rules and guidelines when he went to the French Laundry with a bunch of people. Since that all, that's all it takes, I would like to follow his example and preemptively apologize for all the guidelines I won't be following, and none of us will be following, uh, for uh, this Thanksgiving and, well, also others. I, I wanted to show you as well um, uh, some more slides. Uh, I want to take you through it here. We have... Um, and let's just go to the next slide. This is Senator Shannon Grove responding to the governor. And she said, French laundry, laundry incident uh, came just days after Newsom revealed that his children were back in classes at their private school. So let's get this straight. He opposes school choice and cuts charter funding, yet his kids are in private school. And then she goes on to also point out the hypocrisy. She says, here's a pop quiz. In California, $350 is equal to one week's unemployment check for millions of California workers or the cost of Gavin Newsom's dinner per plate, by the way, at Napa's French Laundry Restaurant. And the answer is C, both of the above. And the EDD is still failing on unemployment checks, but we're still managing to pay for the governor's dinner at the French Laundry. And all he has to do is apologize. Yep, that's hypocrisy at its finest. And let's go to the next slide. This is what the governor did today. Breaking news issue statewide. California curfew. It's in effect. From 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. in counties in toughest purple tier where virtually all Californians, 95% of us live. This virus is brilliant because at 9.59, it knows to, stop, uh, to start attacking at exactly 10 p.m. And and it doesn't rest through the evening. And if you go out at 4.59, you're going to get it. Well, Sheriff Barnes, he's not stupid. The Orange County Sheriff, earlier uh, today, the Orange County Sheriff's Department became aware of the limited stay-at-home order that Governor Newsom's office ordered to go into effect on Saturday, November 21st at 10 p.m. Throughout the pandemic, the Orange County Sheriff's Department has taken an education-first approach with regard to public health orders we are currently assessing the action of the governor at this time due to the need to have deputies available for emergency calls for service. Deputies will not be responding to requests for face coverings or social gatherings um, only for enforcement. So uh, he's realizing this is a royal waste of time. Yet in our own county, uh, we have a health official coming out every Sunday and we've managed to give our health director, Dr. Robert Levin, a 12.5% pay raise when those EDD checks aren't coming out and Gavin Newsom is enjoying a $400 a plate dinner with no social distancing and no masks. But we can manage to give the health director a 12.5% raise while his winery's still open that he hasn't declared a Form 700 on. Yet they're coming after me for my Form 700 because I resigned from office and there's a fine coming for that one. But just leave the good doctor alone. These are things I just can't comprehend. Uh, take a look at this. I like Charlie Kirk's tweet. He said, nearly 50,000 doctors and scientists have signed a global anti-lockdown petition. Democrats still continue to support locking down America. Uh, what happened to listen to the scientists? And speaking of scientists, uh, this, this one right here, top pathologist, claims coronavirus is the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on an unsuspecting populist top pathologist, Dr. Uh, Roger uh, Hodkinson told government officials in Alberta during a Zoom conference call, uh, and, and he laid that out. And you can find that. You can just go into it. But 
during all of this, our small businesses are being just absolutely decimated. And we've got some videotapes of businesses all around Ventura that have closed down. We'll be showing that shortly. But Amazon profits are up 100%, Walmart up 80%, Target up 80%, Lowe's 74%, Microsoft, Facebook, Apple, Google stocks, record high. Small businesses, 21% of them have closed and revenue for rest is down 30% and they're, they're going to go extinct in the lockdown without help. Folks, we need to push back. I'm not sure if I have any more slides. Oh, this is a good one to push back. This is me coming home with a turkey that serves 25, and I'm certain the law enforcement will be chasing me all the way home because we are violating our desire to celebrate Thanksgiving and give thanks to God. And you know, it's tragic that a little over 170 people have died in our county. I don't want to make light of that. Uh, Last check that I had when we did the Freedom of Information Act from the county, only two had died from, the rest had died with, uh, requiring over 2.5 comorbidities, or comorbidities, excuse me, I always mispronounce that, comorbidities, 2.5, which means diabetes, heart disease, and yet we attribute a fentanyl uh, overdose to a COVID death. Uh, Can we see the rest of those, Dr. Levin? And why are we trying to continue to keep ourselves in the perpetual purple zone uh, by doing what, we, we have to average 150 tests a day, but we're over 400, and we want to keep pushing doctors to test folks, even though they may not even have symptoms. But let's just see how many people we can test positive, even though we have no deaths. Our hospitals are not being overrun. Our ventilators are not being overrun. And let's give them a 12.5% raise while all of our businesses in the county shut and all of our people suffer. When is someone going to say something about this? When are we going to push back? Well, I'll tell you how we're going to push back. We're going to enjoy Thanksgiving. And we're going to just tell you right now, we're going to apologize in advance uh, for breaking the rules. Because we all know that you are perpetrating this on us and we're a little tired of it. And so what a day to experience all of this. Um, 157 years ago today, 157 years ago today, the Gettysburg Address was given at the battlefield when the North, or excuse me, when the South invaded the North, and it was the largest death toll in in total combined deaths uh, for America up to that point, and all these bodies had been buried from the, the battle on July 1st to the 3rd of 1863, and then on this date in 1863, Uh, They went to dedicate that battlefield, and Abraham Lincoln was despised. They didn't want to give him a second term of office, and they didn't even want him to speak. They let Edward Everett speak for two hours, and of course, um, Lincoln got up. He said, I think, 272 words. Let's bring that back up because it's good to refresh our memory because, again, in America, this republic and this freedom is being rapidly taken from us. And folks, we can't put up with this tyranny anymore, this hypocrisy. This is complete socialism, and they're trying to invoke it on us, and we're tired of it, and it's time to push back. So remember these words. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated... can long endure. We're met on a great battlefield of that war, and we have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. 
But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here, have consecrated it far above our power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to the cause for which they gave their last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people and for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Fitting words and timely on this day, when the evidence and the affidavits and all that was presented before the press just seems to be dismissed as they want to steal from us an honest election, one where uh, a Republican candidate received more votes than any other in the history of the country. And a man who remained in his basement and couldn't even put a sentence together miraculously did better than any previous Democratic candidate in the history of the country. And it all happened in four cities that shut down overnight and an influx of simply Biden ballots all came in, not allowing anyone to observe. And they were all dated late and all these things happened. Well, we're not going to put up with it. It's time for a new birth of freedom. It's time to say to the hypocrites of California, those who make rules for us, but not them, it's time to tell them that we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. We're going to worship our God. We're going to see the facts of this virus and we're going to look at it, not with your perpetual purple pandering and trying to keep us all locked down while you ruin our businesses and allow those businesses that fund all of your efforts to grow in an ever-increasing ability to thwart their will upon us, the people, we're going to push back. And how long we're going to be able to do that? We're obviously using YouTube. They may shut us down. I don't know. But, well, this is all we can get because you can't turn on the media. They've all bought the narrative. And yet, all of us, interestingly enough, haven't given up. We're not stupid. And we're tired of this. And you know, folks, the lockdowns didn't work the second time. Why are we doing them again? If they don't work, they don't work. And you know, I'm not so certain that as we look at the data, that just because someone tests positive and yet the hospitals aren't overrun, the people aren't dying, ventilators are available, hospital beds are available, why are we doing this? Why are we not looking at the trauma that we're perpetuating upon all of our citizenry? Why aren't our elected officials pushing back? Why aren't they telling the county to stop it? Why are they allowing those that fund this government and the taxes that they give, why are they allowing their citizens to be abused? Where's the doctrine of the lesser magistrate? It's time to push back like the Orange County Sheriff. It's time to tell the governor, we're not going to enforce these tyrannical and draconian measures any longer. Well, this is America. That's how we operate. It's time for a new birth of freedom. And historically, that's what America has been about. And our guest tonight Bill Federer, written countless books. He is a walking encyclopedia of American history. And I have to tell you, I'm so honored that he's with us tonight. I pray that his historical lessons are going to refresh your memory, encourage your heart, and bless you tonight. So let's welcome Bill Federer.
Hey, Bill. Oh, Pastor Rob, great to be with you. You too. I don't know if you heard any of that, but... Uh, I did, I heard it all. Yeah, run with it. Anything that's on your heart. I know you want to talk about Johnson in 1948 and a couple of other things, and if you want to cover the Gettysburg Address, I just love it, listening to you. Well, just a couple of things about the Gettysburg Address. That last line that you read, that the government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. We're on the verge of seeing it perish from the earth. In other words, uh, this election right now, uh, if they are able to steal it, uh, that uh, they'll be able to steal every election from now on. Yep. And not just in America, uh, but the world will be impacted. And um, anyway, it's very, very significant that you read that tonight. Uh, now, I mentioned I was contacted by a lot of people that helped with my congressional campaign 20 years ago. Uh, I ran against Dick Gebhardt. He was the Nancy Pelosi before Nancy Pelosi. He was the House Minority Leader for the Democrat Party. And we gave him the lowest re-election margin of his career. And on election night, we saw uh, the electricity go off in the Jefferson County Board of Elections. Well, how about that? Yeah. When they rebooted it, uh, we went from being uh, ahead to behind. And we said, well, what's going on? Why did the electricity go off? They said, oh, someone was doing construction on another floor at 10 o'clock at night on election day. And uh, and so come to find out that the water main that broke that caused the Georgia election to be uh, extended, somebody had stuffed the urinal. <laughs> that was it. And they fixed it within an hour. But they had this excuse. And, uh, anyway, um, so there's a quote from Teddy Roosevelt in 1903. He says, in no other place and at no other time has the experiment of government of the people, by the people, and for the people been tried on so vast a scale as here in our own country. So what we have had in America is an experiment to see if we can run a country where the people are in charge. The most common form of government in world history is kings, and they go by different names. Pharaoh, Caesar, Kaiser, Sultan, Tsar, Chairman, Mao. Um, and uh, America's founders flipped it and made the people the king. And uh, a, a democracy works on a small level where everyone has to be at every meeting every day. But a republic is where you're taking care of your family and your farm and you have someone in your place that goes to the market every day. And so republics can get bigger. And America, we've had the biggest functioning republic in world history, yep. where the people are in charge, ruling through representatives. But we're at the verge of seeing that change. And that's why uh, there's a, a Catholic cardinal, and I don't normally uh, forward and quote from Catholic cardinals, but this one is interesting. His name was Cardinal Vigano, and he was the papal nuncio from uh, the Vatican to the White House to America under the previous Pope. And he is sort of a cardinal in hiding because he has criticized the current Pope for his uh, promotion of homosexuality and his uh, promotion of climate change and, and caving to China, surrendering the, the Catholic Church leadership to, to have the bishops in China appointed by the Communist Party. Anyway, this Cardinal Vigano uh, wrote an open letter uh, 
about a month ago, and he said how the verse in Thessalonians that says, he that restraineth will restraineth until he be taken out of the way and the man of sin be revealed in all of his unrighteousness. And he goes on and on. And so he said, you know, cut it how you like. The fact of the matter is Trump has been restraining the one world order. And if he were taken out of the way, there would not be anyone restraining the one world order. If they had four years, they'll have eight years. If they have eight years, they will so fill all the positions with their people. Uh, they'll make sure that there won't be another uh, 2016 upset to their plans. Yeah. Uh, and now, uh, I mentioned um, in uh, before we started uh, an interesting race that has some similarities to what's going on today, and it was 1948, and it was in Texas, and there there was a Democrat primary. Now, back then, the whole state of Texas was pretty well run by Democrats, and so the primary race was more or less the Senate race, and it was Lyndon Johnson, and he was running for the Democrat primary in the Senate against the Democrat governor of Texas, Coke Stevenson. And Coach Stevenson was more popular, and the election happened, and Coke Stevenson won. But then there was, on election night, this uh, announcement that there was a undiscovered, uncounted box of ballots. Well, wait, 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 Bill. Bill, what about, what about landslide Linden? <laughs> well, that was a, uh, a tongue-in-cheek term because it was, Razor clothes. Yeah. So uh, in Alice, Texas, the town of Alice, Texas, in Jim Wells County, precinct number 13, which happened to be the town that Lyndon Johnson was from. Wow. Uh, there was a uh, political boss named George Parr, P A R R, and they claimed to have discovered this uncounted box of ballots. And um, the campaign manager for of Johnson, John Connolly, went to the Alice, Texas, precinct number 13 to help them out. And um, what emerged was that uh, George Parr, the Duke of Duval, who was the political boss, had uh, decided that they were going to find these uh, extra ballots. So there were 202 extra ballots found, and they were the names of people in the local cemetery and they were signed in in alphabetical order with the same handwriting and the same color ink. And uh, 30 years later, the New York Times ran an article titled, Ex-Official Says He Stole 1948 Election for Johnson. Uh, it was, this is the quote, uh, the disclosure was made by Louis Salas, who was the election judge for Jim Wells County Box 13, which produced just enough votes in the 1948 Texas Democrat primary runoff to give Mr. Johnson the party's nomination for the U.S. Senate. Johnson did not win that election. It was stolen for him, and I know exactly how it was done, said Mr. Salas, now a lean, white-haired 76-year-old. George Parr, the South Texas political boss um, who Salas had served for for a decade, um, also had killed himself in 1975, and then by this time Johnson was dead, and so Mr. Salas decided to break his silence to get peace of mind. He says, I just went along with my party. Again, I'm quoting from the New York Times. 
It says he, Mr. Parr, ordered that 200 odd votes would be added to Mr. Johnson's total from box 13. Mr. Salas said he had seen fraudulent votes added in alphabetical order and had them certified as authentic on order of Mr. Parr. Mr. Parr was the godfather. He could tell any election judge, give us 80% of the vote and give the other guy 20%. We had made it in every election. The New York Times article continues. The Associated Press interviewed former FBI agent T. Kellis Dibrell. And Mr. Dibrell said, also, the last 202 names were made in the same colored ink and in the same handwriting. Whereas the other um, uh, other ballots had signed in to the polling place with different individuals' names with different colored ink. And um, so the article goes on. The statewide count, including Box 13, gave Mr. Johnson an 87-vote margin, earning him the tongue-in-cheek nickname Landslide Linden. There it is. And um, anyway, it goes on. It says that the Democrat Central Committee was deadlocked 28 to 28 on whether or not to certify this election result. And um, the governor, Coke Stevenson, brought a legal case against it. He got someone named Abe Fortas, an FDR appointee, to intercede with the Supreme Court Justice Hugo Black. Now, you know Hugo Black because he was the Alabama senator who became the Supreme Court justice who pushed through the separation of church and state decision. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, Black admitted that he had not ever read the debates of the First Amendment when he made that decision. And he had never been a judge before other than a traffic cop, for a uh, traffic judge for one year. Uh, and here he was, made a U.S. Supreme Court justice that made this monumental decision. Anyway, Hugo Black does not intercede, and he throws it back and lets the state central committee decide the race, and the state central committee decides for Lyndon Johnson. When Johnson becomes president, he appoints Abe Fortas as a Supreme Court justice, sort of payback for him helping with the election. And then Abe Fortas received a bribe from uh, Wall Street in 1969, and he was forced to resign. So it sort of came back upon him. But uh, the Washington Post wrote a story. Uh, this was um, written by David Broder in 1990. Uh, and it was um, Robert Caro's book, The Years of Lyndon Johnson. It says, the slimy creature who stole the 1948 election, Lyndon Johnson, driven by boundless ambition, had his career been a story of manipulation, deceit, and ruthlessness, the morality of the ballot box, in which nothing matters but victory, and any maneuver that leads to victory is justified. He goes on, Johnson stole the victory in the 1948 Senate race. That campaign was an American classic, sort of interesting term. Johnson battled a strongly favored opponent, to win by the narrowest of margins, the 87-vote victory earned him the derisive nickname Landslide Linden. And, um, and then this was referred to in 2006. At the time, Greg Abbott was the Texas Attorney General. He said on his website, voter fraud is no newcomer to the Lone Star State. Six decades ago, the votes 
found in Jim Wells County infamous box ballot box 13 helped Linda Johnson squeak into the U.S. Senate in that 1948 primary. And then being a senator and with John F. Kennedy being from Maine and wanting to get all the electoral votes, he chose Johnson as his vice president. Interestingly enough, the uh, corruption of Johnson was well known and Life magazine was going to do an expose on Johnson to be published November 24th, 1963. But it was preempted because two days earlier, Kennedy was campaigning in Texas and was assassinated. And instead of having his career shot by this front page Life magazine article, uh, Johnson became the president. Uh, so we see that this was 1948. This was a long time ago. And these tactics uh, seem to have an eerie um, uh, echoing with what's going on today. You know, uh, the, uh, the man that had to usage his guilty conscience uh, after everyone was dead and then to come clean, the, the, the tragedy of it all is he may have gotten his conscience clean, but all these people were gypped, and, and the, the validity of the vote was questioned from that day on where it now is entwined in the fabric where, the, where Governor Abbott would speak of it six decades later. And the, the contrast is we're seeing men and women coming forward across the country with sworn affidavits where they will perjure themselves by penalty of imprisonment if they're lying. And some of these, especially in Detroit, are Democrats. And the minute they stand in opposition to this machinery, they're doxxed, they're threatened. Uh, we have attorneys that their families are being threatened. Uh, the, the two Republicans on, on the canvassing board, I think it is, I can't remember what they call it, that uh, voted to certify the election, then rescinded their votes by affidavit that they were threatened and, um, and, and that what they were promised never came to fruition. So you're, you're seeing brave men and women, hundreds of them across the country at great expense to themselves, not waiting for those to die so that they can usage their guilt, but they're standing boldly to preserve this nation. And folks need to be in prayer, and we also need to be in support, and we need to stand and push back against this tyranny, and folks need to get to Georgia and really start helping with those elections as well. Uh, you're really true. And, you know, in reading through world history, I've seen that there is this quest for power. And when you see that Genghis Khan killed 30 million people, Mao Zedong killed 80 million people, uh, you know, you read all of the coups and Napoleon and crowning himself emperor and this lust for power, that spirit is at play right now. Uh, that is it when the devil came to Jesus and said, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world because they're mine and I can give them to whoever I want. And of course, when did Satan get them? Well, when Adam sinned, Adam was in charge of the garden. We know that because he got to name everything. Naming means you have authority over. And 
But then the Bible says, to whomever you yield your members, servants to obey, to him you are a servant. So the moment Adam obeyed Satan, he postured himself as being beneath, and the devil usurped power. And uh, these dictators and pharaohs and sultans throughout history ruled through fear. And uh, ancient Israel, when they came out of Egypt, 1400 BC, they uh, flipped it. And for uh, 400 years, they did not have a king until they sinned and got King Saul. And But America's founders, they had broke away from the most powerful king at the time, the King of England, and they flipped it and made the people the king. But when you study world history, that lust for power, if any of these dictators had not died along the way, any one of them would have been happy to have the world under their thumb. And so in that sense, death is a blessing because uh, the devil has to start from scratch again. But with the technology, people say history repeats itself. Yeah, but every time it comes around, it's a little bit worse because with military advancements, the dictators can kill more people. And with technological advancements, they can track more people. I mean, Augustus Caesar had a worldwide census. I guarantee if he could have computer chipped everybody and had cameras everywhere, he would have tracked them that way. But we see this this lust for global power uh, that right now, as I mentioned, Trump has been standing in their way. Now, for those not familiar, uh, there has been the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, David Rockefeller, goes back to Woodrow Wilson, and uh, there's been a quest for uh, concentrating power globally. And it is sort of melded together with a Machiavelli and a Hegel and a Karl Marx. And, and it's this idea that you uh, create or capitalize on crises to consolidate control. So people, when it's the status quo, they're not motivated to do anything different. But if there's a crisis, people panic in times of crises and they're willing to give up their freedoms to somebody that promises to fix it. And um, I did a, a new book on the history of socialism. Uh, it's called Socialism, the Real History from Plato to the Present. Um, yeah, uh, well, real, real quick, Bill, how can people get that? Well, thanks. It's AmericanMinute.com. AmericanMinute.com. Uh, it's done really well. I've had the privilege of being uh, twice interviewed by Pat Roberts on the 700 Club on it. And, um, but it goes back 380 B.C., Athens. Plato has, says there's a democracy. The chief characteristic of a democracy is tolerance. Everybody tolerates each other. Then they tolerate people that are a little bit off. Then they tolerate people that are a lot off. So finally, they're tolerating crooks and crime and fraud and all kinds of immorality. And it turns into domestic chaos. And then the people say, can't someone come along and fix this mess? And that's when you have a governor that comes along and says, I can fix it. I just need some emergency powers. Yeah. And they first appear as a protector, full of smiles. And then finally, after they consolidate power, they stand in the chariot of state, holding the reins of power, and they're revealed as the tyrant. And so this model of democracy and without morals and virtue ends in chaos, out of which you'll have a tyrant arise. Well, there are philosophers that said, hey, in times of crisis, people give up their freedom. Let's speed it along by intentionally creating crisis, intentionally having immorality spread and teaching these kids there's no right, there's no wrong. You can kill the baby in your womb. You don't even know if you're a boy or a girl anymore. And you push these kids out on the street and they start rioting, uh, right? I mean, 
and, 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 and also stop them from thanking God or celebrating his birth uh, and, and canceling a holy week uh, when he died on the cross. It, it, just figure out some way to create a crisis where you can stop people from doing that. And that seems to have happened in California. Had to add that. Well, it, it has. And, you know, I, I, people may have heard me speak on different parts of this, but picking up with um, you had uh, Lenin and he had the Bolshevik Revolution. Lenin said socialism is a transition phase to communism. It's sort of like communism like it's like socialism is the road. Communism is the destination. And uh, Lenin said that you have to get rid of the middle class. So uh, Karl Marx said communism can be summed up in one sentence, abolition of private property. And uh, Lenin said, well, since uh, socialism is a ruling class and a ruling class, you have to get rid of the middle class. So Lenin said you grind the middle class, he called them the bourgeoisie, out of existence through the millstones of taxation and inflation. Uh, and, then, and, 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 also, and also just shutting down their businesses by uh, edict and pandemic and allowing the larger ones that support their movement like Amazon and, and the like and Google. Um, and, and now we're watching all of our county businesses, these mom and pops, they're being destroyed. 21% in California, another 30% are on the brink, uh, 30% reduction in sales. I mean, they're killing our middle class in our county for a virus that doesn't merit what they're doing. I have to add that. I got to put it into perspective for folks who are listening. Yeah. And just this past week, the Parliament of Canada uh, is discussing uh, COVID-21. That evidently, it looks like there are plans to release another virus and have several more shutdowns, and then there'll be bailouts. And then by the third time, there won't be enough money to bail out. And the whole entire country and the world will go bankrupt, and then they'll, they will have a great reset. That's the Davos plan where all the currencies will be bankrupt and they'll issue a new cryptocurrency that they will control. And it'll basically be uh, their one world government that they've been wanting to have for quite a while. Um, Can I now, I, I want to interject something real quick uh, for folks that are listening. I, I and, and, it, and it deviates kind of from what you're sharing, Bill, but I want folks tonight to, to check this out. And you can go on Amazon Prime. If there was another location, I would send you to it. If you know of it, uh, let me know. But um, I seldom frequent that. But in this case, I-, I wanted to see this movie. It's called The Plot Against the President. And it is an amazing movie, um, The Plot Against the President. It's well done. I've watched it three times. And it goes through the whole issue with uh, General Flynn. It goes through the transition, the coup attempt, it goes through the Russian hoax, what they tried to do to the president's family, how they put people in jail, uh, and, and even going uh, throughout the whole process of talking about Hammer and Scorecard and Dominion and what we're facing now. And, you know, you look at General McInerney saying this on Monday night before the Tuesday election, uh, our friend Dr. Keith Rose talked about what was going to take place back in April and, and that these critical areas were going to be shut down. McIn- McInerney talked about this earlier on. 
for folks who say, oh, it's a conspiracy theory and all the other things, a conspiracy theory nowadays is anyone who challenges the narrative. But even with all the censorship and the silencing uh, and, and the press trying to run the narrative, I'm, I'm fascinated and, and encouraged by the fact that the American people aren't stupid and they're finding the information through, through broadcasts like our own to realize this is worth fighting for. And we don't have to put up with this garbage anymore. And we need to fight back. So I had to add that too. Well, and it's so critical because I was at a meeting in D.C. And, and you've been to the, the group that meets. And they um, had a representative from the White House there. And I told them, I said, fight, fight, fight. Um, because I, 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 told, I, told every, I told everybody I was at the CNP. So we can, we can let that dog out. They, they know. And, and it's just uh, where conservatives meet and try to figure out how do you fix this best. Yeah. Uh, but um, so the um, uh, after World War II, uh, Germany, France, and England give their colonies independence. And so you have a lot of brand new countries, Egypt, and, you know, Israel, and, and uh, Syria, and Romania, and Czechoslovakia, and they all elect brand new leaders. And it, it's a perfect world right i mean you got new countries new leaders and they're climbing out of the post-war crises and the soviet union has a debate whether or not communism should just run the soviet union or should it run the world and so they decide to send kgb agents into these brand new countries and take advantage of the grievances right i mean they're just climbing out of a post-war so there's lots of and they break people into groups of victims and oppressors. Yeah. And whether it's economic, they're on the low end of the spectrum, or racial or ethnic, Serbian, Baz, Croats, or religious, Sunni, Shia, Orthodox, they really don't care the two sides, and they really don't care the issues. Their goal is to find groups with grievances and break them into victims and oppressors, haves and have-nots, and then organize the uh groups to have protests and escalate them into riots and then have violence and then co-opt the media with bribes and threats to blame the new leader of the new country for all of the problems and then when the country is confused and they would even cultivate weak links in the military and when the country got panicky and confused enough they would do a coup or a rigged election, and replace the leader with a Soviet puppet. They would even have the media release false polling data Hmm. prior to the election to show the popular leader as unpopular, so when they did the coup, people would not challenge it. Yeah, 45 countries fell to communism this way. So Harry S. Truman does nothing. He thinks the United Nations that he helped form would bring world peace. But the next president is Eisenhower, and he's faced with sitting back and letting these countries be taken over or fight fire with fire. So Iran decides to side with the Soviet Union. Their leader, Mazadek, nationalizes the Iranian oil industry. And you think, well, big deal. Well, wait a second. Britain has no oil. I mean, there's no oil fields in Britain. No. Maybe one oil well, I think, in the Sherwood Forest, but and so some in, uh, some in the North Sea. 
Yeah, and, and Winston Churchill had changed the British Navy from coal to oil. So now you have a worldwide British Navy, and they're facing... Uh, so in 1908, they formed the Anglo-Iranian Oil Company. This is right, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, right after World War, you know, the one period of time. And so the Anglo-Iranian Oil Company, you know it better as BP. British Petroleum. And, and so when the Iran sides with the Soviet Union, 1953, and they nationalized the oil industry, Britain is basically facing an oil shortage. And so they appealed to Eisenhower for help. And Eisenhower approves the first CIA operation to overthrow a country's leaders, Operation Ajax, underneath of Secretary of State John Foster Dulles. And the CIA operative on the ground is Kermit Roosevelt Jr., the grandson of Teddy Roosevelt. And he's an expert in foreign languages, including Farsi. So he's over in Iran. And he recruits mobsters and gangsters and radical imams and he stages protests that they escalate into riots and they attack mosques and co-opt the media with bribes and threats to blame Mazadek, the Iranian leader, for all the problems. And they cultivate weak links in the military. And when the country got panicky enough and blamed Mazadek for the problems, they put Mazadek under house arrest, lock him away for the rest of his life where he dies. And then they installed the Shah who loved America because we helped put him in. And the CIA did the same thing in Guatemala in 1954, the Congo 1960, Dominican Republic, and even Chile 1973. And the KGB did the same thing with Brezhnev helping Yasser Arafat to start the PLO and Brezhnev hugging Castro and helping him to take over Cuba and the Soviets taking over countries in Latin South America. And they had hundreds of coups and coups attempt in Africa and then China in the Far East. This is called the Cold War. Right? And so it's it's the Russia and, and America fighting and then China, but it's not directly. It's through these proxy Satellite, wars yeah. in these different countries. And the only difference this time around is these tactics are being used on American soil. Yeah. Now, under the previous president, not only did he weaponize the IRS and have Lois Lerner in the White House 147 times that she signed in and the IRS began targeting conservative groups. It wasn't just the IRS. It was done in the Department of Justice. It was yeah. done in the Pentagon. It was done in all these different groups. And the went from the, no homosexuality in the military to Bill Clinton's don't ask, don't tell, to President Obama's it's now okay to publicly serve. And then it quickly went, you... Everyone in the military immediately has to embrace this new policy or you're going to be pushed out. Right. Uh, so that's what they did. They used the transsexual agenda as a hammer to push out of the military and out of these different public uh, service departments, anybody that holds old traditional values. And, um, and so this happened also with the CIA. And, and the CIA has been using these tactics in other countries for 70 years. And, um, the, and they call them psychological operations. What's that all about? It's creating a narrative in an echo chamber where you see it on the news, you see it on the magazine covers, you hear it on the radio, and you think that everybody is believing this. And this was studied, uh, it was first in marketing. 
they got Sears catalogs and they're just listing the qualities of products. And so then uh, they realized that if you made it look like the in thing to wear a certain type of clothing with a, you know, pretty girl or uh, an athlete advertising it. And so they realized there's this emotional appeal that will make people buy products. And then you had the 1938 radio drama, War of the Worlds, where Orson Welles reads this script. New Jersey's being invaded by Martians. And guess what? The People whole bought it. country yeah. believes it and panics. And everybody in rural America is looking up in the sky for Martians. And this was studied by Joseph Goebbels, who was the propaganda minister for Adolf Hitler. Can you imagine having a business card that says propaganda minister? Anyway. Uh, well, so well at, at, le at least it's honest. Yeah. <laughs> and so Joseph Goebbels orchestrated these big Coliseum events with 100,000 people and pageantry. And um, then they would all begin giving the Hitler salute in the front and everybody would in the back. And then finally the whole place and, and everyone would feel pressured by the group to give the Hitler salute. Sort of like in Islam, the, the men have yeah. to pray in public together. It take a lot of backbone to stand and say, I'm not bowing. You know? And so it, it's, it's manipulating group pressure. And then this was studied after World War II called the Solomon Ash Conformity Experiment, A-S-C-H, Ash. And it was done on college campuses where they would pull eight students into a room. Seven had been paid ahead of time to be actors. One was a naive participant. And the teacher would put two cards on the front desk. One card had one line. And the other card had three lines, one longer, shorter, one the same. And they would start with the paid actors. And one by one, they would stand up and convincingly say that the shorter line was equal to the other card's line. And by the time it got around to the eighth naive participant, 30% of them would deny their own eyes and fit in with the group. This desire to want to fit in this is, is a basic human desire that they have manipulated. And that's that's why uh, the, that's, now it's gone that's, online. That's why uh, it, this this isn't in some respects this is being perpetrated by government officials, but in another regard it's being perpetrated by what they call COVID Karens and the like, where we're we're publicly shaming one another in a time where we really shouldn't be doing this, and and. Uh, and the fear is why people are going against what they know is the exact opposite. And they're buying into it, even though they know that this is insane. Is that similar to what you're describing? Yeah, it's the emperor has no clothes. It's um, uh, no. So the um, another experiment uh, is called the spiral of silence. Chuck Colson talked about it. They had a wine tasting and everybody in the room was in on it except one naive couple. They had poured vinegar in the wine. And this couple writes on their little comment card that it tastes terrible. Well, one by one, the other couples would stand up and say, this wine has character. It's robust. It's you're really good. And by the time we got around to that naive couple, they had scratched out what they had written. And they stood up and said, oh, it's, it's really good wine. And then finally, someone stood up and said, well, you know, they just poured vinegar in the wine. The couple that had changed their views criticized the person that pointed out the truth. And this was called a, a phenomenon of false enforcement. Once people have bought into the lie, they will help enforce that everybody else conform to the lie. Unbelievable. And, um, and so now it's gone online. We get our news online. We get uh, the, uh, you know, the Twitter and the Facebook and everything. And everyone wants to be liked. 
and no one wants to be unfriended. I mean, yeah. kids will even commit suicide if they're cyber bullied. And so it's now this online created world perception that if they can, and I've talked to people that work at uh, in big tech, and they said that all of the big tech share machine code identification information. So every single thing that logs on the internet has a machine identifier code. Your phone, your computer, if you got three or four computers, and it builds a profile and of every single website you visit, Google search you do, item that you purchased. And I mean, they, they even save all the Siri, uh, Siri, tell me this or that. Um, they save all of that, even the audio. And, um, and then they build a profile on you. They do this in China and they actually give them a score. Each person gets a loyalty score to the communist government. But anyway, um, uh, so this data has, they figure out what motivates you, positive and negative. What are your fears? What are your pleasures? And they, they custom design how to manipulate you uh, to fit in with this narrative. And they said that it's illegal but they're all sharing this code with each other. That's why you can buy something on Amazon and see it advertised on your Facebook page. Right. Um, and, um, uh, and, but they're all also, they all have political agendas. And so they're, they're mimicking the political agenda of each other to make you think that. And, and so Google, the number one search engine in the world uh, has algorithms. And when there's an election, you have committed Republicans, committed Democrats, and undecideds. And so the undecideds do a Google search, and they type in a candidate's name, and the algorithms will, will pull up all the negative stuff about one candidate, all the positive stuff about another candidate. Why are, why are they searching? Because they want to fit in. Yeah. They want to see, what does everybody say? I want to fit in. And if they can sway just a percentage, many races are close enough where they can change the outcome of the election. Um, but we, we they call it gaslighting. Yeah. Um, which is a term from an old Ingrid Bergman, I think it was a Gary Cooper movie. Right. Um, where uh, the, He you kept know, turning the, the light down a little bit. And... Yeah, so there's Ingrid Bergman's married to this weird guy, not not the Gary Clark, uh, I mean, not the uh, Gary Cooper. And the, the weird guy married her because the mother uh, that died had jewels, and she was a famous actress, and uh, put all of her stuff in the attic and locked it, and nobody was supposed to go up there. And it's like in England. And so uh, he would put the wife to sleep. I guess she had her own bedroom. It was sort of strange. Um, and he would go out and walk down the sidewalk. And, of course, Gary Cooper would watch. And, and he'd go around in these English houses, you know, like um, um, whatever. The, the, the rooftops are sort of connected. And like Mary Poppins, you know. Anyway, this guy would go to the, the roof and he would climb through a window and he would turn the lamp on upstairs. And when he turned the lamp on upstairs, the lamp in Ingrid Bergman's room would get dimmer, I guess, because it drew from the same uh, pipes. And um, and so Ingrid Bergman would tell her husband, the lights keep getting dimmer. And, it, and he goes, you're seeing things. You're just maybe he takes her to a psychiatrist and, and you're imagining you're going insane. And of course, he wants her to be insane because then he'll lock her away and he'll have free access to looking through the attic for these jewels. And um, anyway, but it, it, it went into the vernacular as a term called gaslighting, where you, you create a false world uh, because you control Fox News and, and CNN and uh, Twitter and Facebook and everything, and it reverberates that, oh, the election's over. Uh, so this one candidate won, and he's picking his cabinet and everything. It's like I had somebody describe it as a poker game. 
and they're trying to bluff you into folding. You have all the aces in your hand. You have all the truth, but they're trying to bluff you into folding and letting them take all the chips. Did you? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, did did you see uh, the vice president today when he gave the press conference and as he's leaving, it was as almost as though the press just unleashed in a frenzy of anger that uh, he is not accepting their narrative and and the yelling. I've I've never seen anything like it before. Did you see that today? No, but one of the things we have to remind ourselves, whatever they're willing to do to get power, they're willing to do to keep power. Yeah. And so as, as bad as they are with the rioting in the streets and with the lying, they'll keep that up. And, uh, so, so I mentioned Canada. Uh, so like two days ago, um, the, and you can Google it. I'm sure it's, it's still up there unless they've taken it down. Um, but the speaker of the house was asking the prime minister, and I don't know all the Canadian uh, political position terms quite that well, but uh, the speaker of the house uh, said, well, I have all these reports that show the government's putting out bids to build detainment centers all around Canada and uh, all kinds of construction bids and everything. And uh, can you tell us about this? And so the prime minister said, well, you know, somebody coming back from another country and they might have COVID, so we need to quarantine them. And and he comes back and he says, well, uh, there's nothing in this paperwork that says it's just for for COVID people. And it's nothing about travelers here. And, uh, and then it, he says, well, next question. And so they, they admitted that they're building these detention concentration cap centers uh, in Canada. And of course, there's been uh, different reports of uh, similar uh, things in America. But uh, these are serious times. And I uh, let me, put let anything me, past. Let, let me read this to you. Um, and this is from uh, David Atkins, who is a Democratic Party official here in California. And in a sense, as you read the, the tweet, he's calling for a national re-education camps for families who voted for Trump. Uh, David Atkins, he says, no, seriously, how do you uh, deprogram 75 million people? Where do you start? Fox, Facebook. We have to start thinking in terms of post-World War II Germany or Japan failures of reconstruction in the South and this idea of re-educating all 75 million of us. Uh, so they're talking about in Canada, but you, you have somebody who is an operative here in California for the Democratic Party stating the same thing. You know, I was mentioning Plato, and uh, he said that they would take the children away from the families and uh, teach them noble lives. And Plato said, we want one grand lie, which will be believed by everyone. So here, the socialism, it wants to have a, a grand lie that they, and then, of course, the classic book, 1984, that George Orwell wrote. And it was that the government has a ministry of truth, which is a play on terms because all it does is lie. And uh, the one character in the novel um, is the one that goes through the textbooks and all of a sudden they say, okay, this date is now changed and this enemy is now our friend and this friend is now our enemy. And, and, and all he does is just, he's constantly changing it. And he says to the place 
where there's no records other than the records that he's changing. And he's the only one that knows the real truth. And then he says, but I can't even tell anybody uh, because, and so what is truth? And you get to the fact where like in Islam, where they will, if, if there's discovered a little artifact that shows the Jews had a temple in Jerusalem, their response is destroy the artifact. We don't care about history. All we care about is our agenda. And that's the concept that socialism has. Yeah. And well, I uh, we're we're coming at that where I think we're at the top of the hour. Uh, yeah, we're at eight. I I, I want to. Would you come back and and we're with our new studio? And I don't know if I've told you this yet, but with the new studio, uh, we're probably going to move to a five day a week program. And and I want to do a constant. And I, I want you to consider and all the folks. I'm going to put you on the spot in front of everyone who's watching. I want to do McEwen Mondays with Congressman McEwen. Then we'll have a, a special guest on Tuesday. And then we're, we're going to do what I call Wombs Day with uh, Seth Gruber because life is such a critical issue, especially in regards to the unborn. We're going to have another guest on Thursdays, but I want to do Federer Fridays. What do you think, Bill? Well, I'd be happy to. I, I, I sometimes get tired of hearing myself talk. I think that sometimes other people do as well. But now, if you now don't, we don't get tired we don't, of me we, talking, we, I'm happy to talk. We don't get tired of you talking. Our problem is our bandwidth is not nearly as capable as yours. I, I get stretch marks on my brain every time I listen to you because every fact of history reminds you of another one, and you are just an endless stream of insights. And I, I love the way, the linear way that you approach history and it's all interconnected. It, it's fascinating how your mind works. And, and it, it helps me to understand because I love connecting the dots. And you do that so well. And that's why I wanted to feature you on Fridays. Now, I know you can't do every Friday, but you travel a lot. But we can do this. You can tune in and talk on some relevant topics and historically look at them. And I would be really honored if you do that. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Deal. And, um... Well, let me let me do this because we're at the top of the hour and... Um, I, I, I y- y- close with one last thought because I know something's on your heart. Yeah, just uh, the spiritual angle. And, yeah, and that's and the I idea. love that. I love that about you. You always bring that. And, and uh, you know, I mentioned the, all the world's history, and uh, there's every generation has had crises. Attila the Hun, Genghis Khan, bubonic plague, and guess what? If we get through this crisis, there'll be another one. Yep. If we get through that one, there'll be another one. The crisis of the era is an opportunity that the Lord places before us where we get a chance to respond. I love it. And we can either be part of the problem, ignore the problem, or be part of the answer, ministering God's love to a hurting and dying world, standing up for righteousness, defend the defenseless. And so if uh, in freshman chemistry class, you have a beaker with a solution and you pour in a catalyst that causes a reaction and some stuff precipitates and gets heavy and falls to the bottom and other stuff turns into bubbles and floats to the top, and if you think of it, we live in a solution, and the crisis of the era is the catalyst. And we get a chance to respond and reveal who we are. Are we going to precipitate and sink to the bottom and be part of it? Are we going to rise above the situation? I love it. Right? And so uh, God knew it was in Abraham's heart, but he wanted to see Abraham be willing to take his son to the top of Mount Moriah and be willing to kill him. Yeah. And I shared it before, but, you know, Go to a guy sitting on the couch watching TV and you say, hey, when was the last time you told your wife you love her? 
Like, ah, I don't know, but she knows my heart. Like, okay. Uh, when was the last time you did anything to show your wife you love her? Uh, I can't remember, but she knows my heart. It's like, uh, dude, we need to have a little talk. <laughs> it's like, uh, God, God knows my heart. Yes, he does know your heart, and he wants to hear some words out of your mouth, and he wants to see some actions, and the crisis of the era is the opportunity for you to show some actions and let some words come. Your life is a witness, not just that when you're dying, you're going to believe in Jesus. No, your whole entire life is to be a witness for the Lord. Let his will be done yeah. on earth through you. That's awesome, Bill. And and, and each person is uniquely gifted uh, for this season in history with everything God with everything God wants you to use for his glory. But if you're not going to be that which rises to the occasion, you know, I, I love the joy that we haven't been born in uninteresting times. And, and it's going to be those that stand for truth and, and stand in opposition to tyranny and not allow mankind to be enslaved, uh, those are the ones that, that are acting in regards to what God wants in spite of, as I said last night, the, you know, and I used a Spiro Agnew quote, the nadder, nattering nabobs of negativity. You just rise above the, the clanging cymbals and the sounding brass and, and you operate in the context of love because you're willing to do what no one else is. And the final thing I would share is the only thing that stops us from doing what is right is fear. And the only reason why we're afraid is because we haven't realized we're already dead. You know, I, I, it is no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And whatever I'm trying to preserve, it doesn't belong to me anymore. I gave that away. And, and mine is to be faithful. And as the Apostle Paul said, if there be no resurrection, I'd be of all men most pity because every day he put it on the line. And this is the opportunity for God's people to really stand in defense of all those who are about to be enslaved and who are ignorant and don't know and to push back on this tyranny because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. 2 Corinthians 3.17. So, Bill, I, I, I loved the chemistry illustration. Awesome. And I adore you. You are a treasured brother. And we're doing Federer Fridays, and I got you to say yes. And that wasn't hard to do because I know how much you've supported the ministry and what a delightful friend you are. And I'm, I count myself one of the most blessed people in the world to have you as a friend. So thank you, Bill. You bless me. Well, same, same here. And blessings to all those that had taken the time to watch tonight. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll see you on Friday next week. Get ready. All right. All right. Bless you, Bill. Good night. God bless. Federer Friday's coming up, and uh, I got to tell you, you're going to get smarter if you tune in on those Fridays. I, I want him to be a featured guest because uh, he is the most, well, he and Congressman McEwen are two of the most underutilized uh, gifts to America. And folks, it's time you get educated and get smarter. And the, these folks have kind of, they, they, they read copiously. I, I try to do my best. I just don't have the mind that, that uh, Bill has or the mind that Bob McEwen has, but I do know how to find them. And uh, I'm so grateful that they consider uh, this ministry and they're such good friends of this ministry. And I want to say thank you to all of you who've tuned in tonight. <clears throat> this is our finest hour. It's exciting. It's a wonderful time to be alive. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. If there are those of you who haven't trusted in the Lord as your Savior and you don't know much about Christianity, come to church this Sunday. Uh, because I'll tell you one thing. <clears throat> 
It begins with the realization that liberty is not man's idea, it's God's idea. And the reason why the church is open is because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. You see, tyranny doesn't occupy our lives, and we're not afraid of those who come to enslave us. We'll stand in opposition to them. They can do as they will, uh, and they can bring all the forces necessary to do as they will. But the reality is, I'm immortal until God's done with me, and God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And quite honestly, there's no weapon fashioned against us that will stand. And anything given to God first will never be lost. And whatever it is they think they're going to take from me or this fellowship, we already gave that to the Lord. Our desire is that we're going to stand against tyranny for future generations. And guess what? We're all going to celebrate Thanksgiving, and we're going to worship together this Sunday. And I imagine the public health officials will be out there. And uh, I I don't know what... uh, you know, our health official uh, is Dr. Robert Levin's going to be doing with his 12.5% raise. Um, but the rest of us, we're going to be ministering to those who, well, the 21% of the businesses have been lost. We've been helping and supplementing so many of these businesses, trying to encourage them. And it's been your generosity and kindness that has allowed us to bless some of these folks and keep them alive in this season of misery until this all stops. And the only way it's going to stop is we have to stand up and say, stop. Because this is our government. Uh, We're the authority. We the people. And when they violate that constitution they swore to defend, it's our responsibility to push back. And so no more $400 per plate dinners uh, with the governor without masks or social distancing and his kids getting to go to school while all of ours are shuttered. And he gets to pay for all that with our tax dollars. And no one's even getting their checks as the EDD has been awful here in California Uh, we're just done with this stupidity. No, we're not in this together. Uh, All you government officials, if you're really in this together, stop taking your paychecks. This is what all of us are suffering in that capacity. I still receive a paycheck, but we have sacrificially given and blessed the people around us. Uh, The church is, is fortunate to be open, but suffice it to say, nothing's changed. There's no 12.5% pay raises for anybody. We're doing our best to keep the hungry afloat and the, uh, the homeless sheltered and doing the best to help them in any way, shape, or form. And you are straining us with your burdensome taxation and your destruction of our businesses. We're tired of it. And so the only way we can stop them, folks, is to stand. So enjoy Thanksgiving and just in advance, tell the governor you apologize, just like he did, because if it works for him, it works for us. So, Governor, I apologize, uh, but I'm going to violate your order this Sunday. Dr. Levin, I apologize, but I'm going to violate your order this Sunday. Uh, To the supervisors who stand in opposition to us, three of them in particular, I don't know if they're still doing it. Um, Well, we apologize, but we're going to exercise our inalienable rights. We're aware of this virus. We know what it's about. We see the data You're not going to perpetrate this on us anymore. We're done. And so there you have it. Just apologize. We'll be gracious, but we're going to be Americans and we're going to enjoy our freedom and the tyranny's over. And that's all there is to it. And so with that, let's bless you tonight with our tradition of number six. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We'll see you tomorrow night. God bless you all. Bye, everybody.